Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi everyone, welcome to Car Chat Podcast, I'm Sam Moores and with me today I have Colin Belton. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Can you tell the listeners just a short summary of who you are and what you do? I'm the owner and proprietor of um, Nine Meister Limited, which is an independent Porsche specialist. We've been in the business for 30 odd years. Um, I'm an engineer by trade, design engineer, and I'm just somebody who's turned my interest and passion into a business. Nice. Uh, it's grown over the years. We've got uh, nearly 20 employees and it's become a big, big monster of a business that I sort of uh, do my best to run and enjoy. Yeah. We are, for those that are listening or, well, listening, but watching, you'll be able to see we're in your, I'm going to say showroom, not showroom. It's not a yeah. showroom, but it, it looks a bit like a showroom. Um, and we've got a bunch of cool cars around us so where where did this journey begin you said you were an engineer is that it, it was an it was an interesting one that i was always always been into cars um mm. and we had a bunch of mates and we're, we're all into early days escort rs's and then one of my mates decided i want to buy a 911 turbo um and i thought well, that's a good idea so at the time bought a house equity went up in the house took it out bought a 911 Nice. And the rest is history, really. We, we went from that, we built a race car and then uh, found a customer to tune his race car, found a unit, set up, and that was 30 years ago. Um, both of my original partners sort of left town and, I, and left me on my own and I just, I just carried on. So I have a, I have a funny philosophy in, in, in business, which is never give up, never surrender, which is, which is part of... There's, there's actually a picture on the wall of my office, which is Donald Duck the fireman running up a ladder. And, this, and this, this image was given to me by my original employer. Um, I came out of university and got a job as an engineer and, and 
another colleague gave me this job, trusted in me, and he said, um, look, Colin, run, you, you run your business one day, he said, and it's like Donald Duck the fireman running up a ladder, he says. And he's got a bucket and he wants to pull the fire out. He said, and then the ladder runs out and he keeps running, but he keeps going up. <laughs> He said, you just keep going up. He said, you just keep running. He says, you haven't a clue where the ladder's gone, but you just keep running. He says, the secret is don't look down. Just keep going. <laughs> so that's it. So it's, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, never give up, never surrender. And I suppose that's why I'm still in business. Does it still feel like you're constantly running up a ladder? Yeah. Well, I think the ladder disappeared about 20 years ago. <laughs> just in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, well, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's just, you just don't look down. You just don't look down. It's just every day you've got new, new opportunities, new new problems to solve, new new issues. You just got you just got to take a breath, tackle them. Yeah, and hopefully there's some energy left at the end of the day to think, right? How can we do better? What can we do next? And that's 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 the key. I think is is just to keep pushing forward. And so you, you started off. You built a race car. I mean that in itself, as like a starting thing to do, that feels like quite forward not forward it's probably not the right word quite like a leap of being like yeah why not um i suppose it's that's part of my inner psyche and that i'm not frightened of anything yeah literally anything you know so if if somebody somewhere can do it so can i i might not know how yet but i'll find out Yeah, yeah yeah um so the race car, yeah, well, we had a 911 Turbo and Porsche, it was 1988, I think, and Porsche came up with this weird concept to do a start-up series at the Porsche Club, which meant that you could take your road car with road seat belts and road tyres and race it. And and my, my mate Dave basically just went, oh, okay, well, let's go out. And so we went out with his 911 <laughs> Turbo and we did this for a year and then, then Porsche realised that actually... Somebody had a major accident and nearly killed themselves, to be fair, wrote off an I-44 server. And just thought, maybe this is not a great idea. Yeah. So they did a modified championship and, and they managed to buy a second-hand 911 turbo shell that had been hacked around with. And we bought a turbo engine, turbo box, and literally just built a car. Now, I remember we needed a, a wing for the back and we, we did this ridiculous scheme where we um, converted it to a 2.1 Carrera turbo RSR look which for those who don't know, it had 17-inch wide rear tyres. <laughs> um, so we put huge arches on it and we needed a big wing on the back. So I actually uh, made a wing in aluminium on my kitchen table. I rolled oh, nice. a, th- a 3D airfoil on my kitchen table and pop rivers in and glued it together. My wife was horrified, but at the end of the day, we just did it because we're just, ki- we're just kids messing around and just, yeah. just, right, we didn't know any better. We didn't know any worse. We just did it. Uh, and it was incredible. We we learned an awful lot. We started the business of it. And then, yeah, I think for the first 18 months of being in a unit, calling ourselves a Porsche specialist, I think I earned six grand yeah. in 18 months. So it was, it, was a, it was a harsh introduction to the world of business. But you learn. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it's not about what you don't know. It's about what you know. And just, just keep learning, keep looking. Keep going. Keep, keep your mind pushing. up. Yeah. I live in a digital world, but I'm an analog guy, and I like I like cars that are mechanical. I like cars that have no driver aids, and, and you just get in and drive. And my passion is air cooled 911s. So, if you if you if you cut me through the, the yellow 993 that you see behind you, that's my 993 RS Club Sport. I've owned it since 1999. I've raced it, hill climbed it, sprinted it, uh, retired it in kind of 2010. But it it's it gets in your soul. So. The ultimate air-cooled 911 that Porsche have ever made is obviously the 993 GT2. That, it, that is the ultimate. It is. There, there is nothing better. 
So one of our customers um, trusts us with all his collection of cars, the silver one that you see in the background there, that's an original 993 Yara, um, GT2 Club, um, lightweight. He's got a club sport as well that we look after. It's just an iconic car. Um, now, values rightly have gone up to esoteric levels. You know, we're talking a million pound plus for cars now. Um, so about maybe two, three years ago, an opportunity came up to buy a 993 with no engine. And then shortly afterwards, somebody came up with a, one of my mates in the trade, gave us a... Um, 993 turbo that had been accident damaged and we just decided to put the two together and build ourselves a GT2. Mm. So the blue car you see behind us is technically it's a 9M93 GT2 lightweight. So built from absolutely bare metal using all original Porsche panels and parts and it's um, <clears throat> the idea of it is that we build a car that is as good as if not better wherever we can than a factory GT2. So within the shell, things that you don't see, there are some structural improvements that we've made, stiffness improvements to the shell that we've made, that we've learnt over the years as how to make these cars better. So that car will represent the best of the best that we can do with an air-cooled 911 in a GT2 turbo form. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be pretty cool. The the builds, because I know this was this is one that you've taken on because you want to do it. Yep. Um, and there isn't a customer for it yet? No, somebody might walk up and say they want to buy it, but at the moment I'm just going to Yeah, build, it's not, it's not a customer-led Correct. project, this one. Um, are, most, are most of your projects customer-led? Yes, yes, invariably. Um, it, it's amazing that, that you build, you, you always end up with one client who has a very, very particular vision for what he wants. Yeah. And you'll build a car for that client and he knows what colour he wants, he knows what interior he wants, he knows what running gear he wants. Then you get the other clients that see it and go, I want one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so you get you kind of get two levels of client. The, the clients with a lot of clear, a very clear vision and, and the ability to visualise the finished product. And then the guys who know what they like but don't really know it until they see it. Yeah. So we have these, these two levels. Um... And I suppose as the guy at the top of the business is my job to interpret the, the, the kind of wish list of the clients that without the vision and put that vision into reality. Yeah. And it's quite difficult at times, you know, because I'm, I'm a detail guy. If you, if, you, if you point at this GT2 behind me and say, well, right, well, what does that consist of? I will say um, the, the two cars plus 748 individual components on a spreadsheet <laughs> all priced out numbers quantities and everything else i see that as a spreadsheet i don't see yeah. it as a car and then you get a client who basically only sees he says well i want it and i want it in polar silver like the other one i want it black yeah or he'll see a black card and he absolutely loves it and he says, oh, i just want a black one because he knows he's seen it he knows he will like it but if he picks a different color he might not like it yeah so it, so we do have a lot of clients who just play safe Translating all those individual requirements in terms of the, the optics of the car is the most difficult job. Deciding what goes underneath it is, is normally a piece of cake because we just say, well, look, this is the best chassis. Okay, yeah. they trust us. Boom, we'll yeah, put yeah, the chassis yeah, yeah, yeah. on it. This is the best gearbox. This is the best limited slip lift. This is the best engine. Um, what do you want? And that's how we work. You know, A great recent build we did was... Um, a 3.6 turbo 964 for a client in uh, Europe. 
And he said, um, can you do something with the engine? Uh, sure, okay. Uh, what would you like? He says, minimum 500 horsepower. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, what's your maximum? I'd like 550. Can you do that? I said, well, yeah, I think so. Single turbo, 3.6. So it came as a stock 3.6 turbo motor, which, as you know, is 360 horsepower. Um, and we decided to take a very pragmatic approach and just say, well, okay, well, let's modernise it. Let's make it drivable. So we binned all the K-Jet fuel injection system. We put a full life racing EF, uh, EFI system on it. Um, and we kept it fairly basic, you know, um, set of six fuel injectors, standard intercooler, put a set of headers on it, which a modern ball race turbo. But the big difference is that we changed the throttle body and put a drive-by-wire 997 turbo throttle body on it. Okay. So it's a bigger throttle body, gave a little bit more airflow. Usual work, porting the heads and so on. Anyway, put it on the dyno. Um, 565 horsepower, <laughs> 800 newton meters of torque, 807, I think it was, 600 pound foot at 1.1 bar. It's quite a lot. So we said to the guy, mm, are you sure you want this power? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what, we'll put a switch on the dash so that we can turn the boost down. So we basically gave him, it was, you can put 11 settings on the switch, you know, but but... Yeah, eleven of course was yeah. maximum speed, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that was <laughs> that was it. But that's a great example of a customer basically having a concept. Here's the car. What colours you want it? Black. What interior? Black. How do you want it to look? Perfect. And and that car nine six four turbo, but it ended up with full nine nine three GT two front end. So we used again the best brakes. We put a four channel ABS on it um, off a later nine nine seven GT three. Um, we put electric air conditioning on it, uh, again, just, just to improve things, full interior retrim. It's a gorgeous car, but black, just black on black, which which is iconic, but yeah. it was just the customer's choice. I just want a black. Yeah, fair enough. We understood when he turned up to pick it up because he drove all the way from uh, Belgium in his other car, which was a um, a brand new GT2 RS in okay. black. In black, in yeah, black. Yeah, yeah. So, in black and black. But there's always a reason. You know, and it's not for me to, to choose that. I, I enjoy sorting out all the engineering underneath and making yeah. it right. And that's my passion is is doing the unusual and making things work in a way that nobody would expect. And what's your sort of ethos in terms of tuning things? Do you, yeah, how do you, do you have like an overarching sort of theory behind what you are aiming for? Well, not really. I suppose I do. In, in the, the, my first ethos is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Fair. And there are so many people that come to me and basically say, oh, I want this and I want that and I want the other. They'll, 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 they'll be on an internet shopping trip with their cars and they've seen all these billet this and, and yeah. poly bush that and so on. And they come with a list of things they want me to put on their cars and I just go, whoa, stop. <laughs> what was this? How are you going to drive the car? Let's start with the basics. Are you going to drive it on the road or is it going to be a track car? And when you actually make the customer stop and, and think what he wants to use the car yeah. for, that's when you dig down into the needs for the, the package. And 99% of customers just want to drive these on the road. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer in maintaining the, the NVH, the noise, vibration, harshness standards of, of the factory car. We go to town making them quieter. Um, we fully dynamite the interiors of most of our cars. Um, 
just to make them more civilized, to modernize them a little bit, make yeah. them quieter. So what's the point of doing all that if somebody wants poly bushes everywhere with monoball rear, rear arms and, and horrendous noise and vibration problems and they drive it on the road. So <clears throat> the starting point is, what do you want to use it for? Then my next philosophy is big picture. There's an, you have to tune an engine, for example, in synergy. There's no point in saying, okay, Colin, uh, I want a 993 engine. I want your billet cylinder heads and I want your sports cams and... I want a GT3 intake and I want yeah. I want this exhaust and so on. And he just went, whoa, 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 hold on. Well, well, what are you going to use it for? Why? You know, if we put the GT3 intake on, for example, on a 993, the 993's got one of the best intake systems known to man, which is for the air-cooled engine, which is the Vario RAM. You can't put variable cam timing on a 993, but, but it, so that's why Porsche put variable intake tracks. And then everybody takes them off and bins them because they perceive that a GT2 intake is better, but the GT2 intake is a bigger volume, great. It's got a resonance flat. Well, so is a standard 964. So is the early 993. So is the so is the Vario RAM. It's got a resonance flat. Yeah. So what are you gaining? Well, actually, nothing. You're losing the variable RAM pipe lengths, and that tunes a 993 for bigger torque curves. And what I've learned is that 99% of clients for road cars, they don't actually want more power. They want more torque. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the hardest thing of this, the hardest way forward is to, to try and explain that to a customer who's got this idea that he wants a 400 horsepower engine but doesn't realise to achieve that you need an 8,000 RPM race engine that won't idle. Yeah. So it's going to be a pain. It's kind of one or the other. And uh, I, I try, I enjoy trying to, trying to explain it. But what you find is that there are, the majority of our clients understand it and trust me. And that, that's something I'll come back to. And those that don't go somewhere else and I'm happy about that. Yeah. Because in, in, invariably, the key thing for me is that when somebody's landed on my doorstep, they want an engine, they want a suspension, or they want a full car build. The one thing, that, the reason why they're there is that they trust Nymeister. They trust us to do the job properly, to thoroughly engineer everything and make sure that above anything else, it's right. Because yeah. my reputation sits on this. I've been doing this for 30-odd years. I'm not going to mess anything up deliberately. Mm. I want to make sure it's it's bang on the nail. So customers buy into that, and I think it's that trust trust thing. But yeah. the, the one word to come out of it, synergy. Everything has to be done in unison. There's no point in putting a, a 350-horsepower engine in the back of a standard 911 SC or a having a, a fantastic GT2-style car chassis and everything else and then just putting a standard Vario RAM in the back. I wouldn't do it. What's the point? Build things in balance. It's no, if, if you want a more powerful engine, put the chassis under it or handle it, put the better brakes on, get everything working perfectly. But then underneath it all, have a shell that's stiffer than the factory shell and reinforced in all the right places so that you can then control all that performance better. Mm. So... I think for me, the sum is greater than the parts, and to achieve that, you've got to have a, you've got to design and conceive everything in unison, and go down to the last minute of detail, and put it on that spreadsheet. And then, ideally, the customer just gets in it and goes, "That was great." They don't know why. They don't know why. Oh, that's great. And you're yeah. like, "Well, I know why." But yeah, 
Well, we did. We built a car for a client in the, in the, in the US, and um, it was a lovely experience. It was a 9 M11 ST, 964 base. Um, and he went over there, and then COVID struck, and the client, client had a change of family circumstances, decided to sell it. So he went on Bring a Trailer. It was quite a famous sale. And um, a new owner bought the car, um, and after he bought it, he, he contacted us and he said it, he had a collection of nine 911s. He sold, after he bought our car, he again changed the circumstance a year or so later, he sold, I think, seven <laughs> out of the 911s or maybe eight and he ended up with two left and one of them was ours and one of them was a standard 964 and he just said... That must have felt great. It, it felt great because he just said that, that car is the best 911 I've ever driven. And yeah. it wasn't because it was the fastest, it's not... But we build we build the cars out of Porsche parts. We build the cars right, and if we do a backdated car, we don't mess around with carbon fiber. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that it's not got a place in the modern world and business. It's just for my personal view, it's got no place on an air cooled nine eleven. Porsche built these out of steel. So do I. So yeah, you can put plastic arches on. You can put plastic bumpers on. The cars were designed like that, but it has a a steel or aluminium bonnet, it'll have a steel or aluminium door, it'll have a steel roof, it'll have steel quarters, steel wings. That's the way we build them. We build proper 911s out of proper Porsche parts and we use as many original Porsche parts as we can with all our builds. So, a bit like Liz Dawson playing a piano. All the right notes, not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> so, so I can have a 92 car with a 72 body and a 98 engine, and a 98 gearbox, and a 2007 ABS system. Yeah. But they're all Porsche parts. So, like I say, all the right notes, just not... It is crazy, isn't it, that, like, you can put all of these parts, and I'm sure they don't don't necessarily just bolt on, but (laughs) you can put all of these parts on a car, and they kind of, like, it's doable. Yeah, well, anything's doable. I guess, I guess the, <laughs> the question is, is it, is it a lot of effort? Like, so your ST build? Yeah. Is it 9M ST? No, 9M11. We call it, we, we, basically, to, to get around any Porsche, Porsche numbering issues, and also to, to show there's a 9 Master car, we just call them a 9M11. So it's, it's, it's our way. So we're not trying to pass it off as another car. This, this car behind you will be a 9M93 GT2. It's not going to be badged as a as a factory yeah. car. That's the way. Um, so go on. So yeah, the the ST is it's a 964 chassis. Yep. But with an ST body on it. Yes. So the uh, we take the 964 and our starting point really are all the factory panels. So. You can buy, you get a 964, take the wings off, put early front wings on. Great. Um, and then you find that the front panel's in the wrong place, so we have to extend the front panel and, ex- and put the long hood on it. So then you, you get um, the original factory 72 front panel, offer that up, and you find that it's two inches in front of the chassis legs and it's two inches, <laughs> it's two inches higher than the boot floor. And you look at it and you think, okay, well, what's, what's the way forward here? Well, we could do what everybody else does and make a plastic bumper that hides everything that's then big and overblown and just totally out of proportion for the car. Or we can convert the car to fit the original 72 panels. So we choose to do that. Um, 
the back end is the same. It's the most difficult thing in the world, in all honesty, to put, um, to take a 964 and fit a 72 rear bumper. And you think, well, how, how hard can that be? You've still got to change the light panel. You've got to change all the back panels. And by the time that you've done all of that, there's no space for the exhaust. So getting a, an early style exhaust on the back of one of these cars is a, is a work of art in its own right. But we do it. Um, the side skirts and sills. Well, an original 72 SC has exposed oil pipes down the side of the car. End of. So what does one of our cars have? Exposed oil pipes down the side. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try and pretend they're not there. Put sill covers over it and make it look wrong. No, it has that. Um... And then you compare, say, a an original early, let's say, an SC G series SC three two, can to a nine six four, and we're all aware that the nine six fours have a wider a wider axle on the back, so they have they have inset wheels. Well, we don't just accept that either. We've we've worked out a way of fitting narrower rear drive shafts and hub assemblies, so that we can use a rear wheel that's got the offset built onto it. Right. Yeah. So the rear wheel looks right. And the wheel bearing's in the same place. It's all 964 parts. And all we've done is move the centre of the wheel in to, to give it that deep dish on the back. Mm. Well, that alone is a major job. Nobody else does it. They just, just have inset wheels made. And we just, we've moved it. And that's being an engineer. You yeah. look at it and think, well, there's all that space there inside the hub. Can we put a narrower disc on? Can we put a narrower axle on? So we, we find the parts, we make them, we make them fit. That's, that's the secret with a nine master car. It's not what you see; it's what you don't see that <laughs> make that makes what you see right. And I was watching a really interesting program many years ago about uh, art, and they got this art expert in, and uh, they showed him an old master, and they just basically had two paintings, and they just said, "Which is original and which is fake?" And the guy said, looked at them, and within about. I don't know, two, three seconds. He just said, well, the one on the left is a fake, the one on the right is an original. Why? Ah, he says. And then explained that it would take him probably a month to analyse the fake and tell you why it was a fake. Yeah. But he didn't. And so, okay, so what's the process then? He said, well, they analysed it and they said, it's your subconscious, because your subconscious works at supercomputer speed. And if you can see something and it looks right, you know straight away. And for me, that's the difference between a nine Meister car and others. And I'm not going to name names. There's some lovely cars out there and there's some awful cars out there, but, but I'm not interested in anybody else's yeah. product. It just doesn't interest me at all. What we do in this building is all that matters to me. But you look at a nine Meister car... I want you to be that artist or in looking at it and going, that's real. Yeah. That's right. The panel fits are perfect. The stance is perfect. The wheel offsets are perfect. The exhaust size and location and outlets and everything are perfect. And what I want you to do is, what I, I feel that I need to do is to walk around the car and go, is there anything else that I could make better? Yeah. Is there anything that stands out as being wrong? And if the answer to that is no, what it means is that people will walk up to it and go, wow, that's fantastic, that looks gorgeous. And they won't know why. And that's that's the ideal, isn't it? That's that is the, the perfect. That's the perfect scenario. Um, yeah, it, it is. It just it just tickles me up because you can have another, another car, similar car next to it, and they'll keep coming back and going, 
I like that. Yeah. And even the best one ever, the best judge of all, actually, and not the enthusiast. You go to a Porsche show or whatever and you put a car on the stand. It's not the enthusiast who, who tell you that answer. It's their wives and girlfriends. And I don't mean sexist here. We do, we do have one or two lady customers who love their 911s and we really appreciate them. But it's the wives and girlfriends who are not Porsche experts who walk up to your car and go, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something. They don't because know what it is. They don't know what it is, but their subconscious has gone, that's right. Yeah. And you know that they're going to walk up to something like, oh, I don't like that. Uh, and, you, you, and that's it. That's yeah. the key. You know, it's, it's these subtle things that you only learn after 30 years of actually sitting back and watching people look at things and study things. You, you've done this to me with the original GT2 <laughs> over there and your car that's in build at the moment. Yep. And you pointed out where the front sort of arch, I don't know what you call them, the bolt-on bits, yep. join the sill at the bottom. Yep. You've sort of massaged it so that it's all in line. And then you're like, go and have a look at the original one. You go and have a look at the original one and the bolt-on arches, they just don't line up at all with the sill at the bottom. And I can't unsee that. Like you've literally, nope. I'm going to say you've ruined it for Great. me. Perfect. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny how how those sorts of things exist. Do you do you find well? That's the well, the, the, the underlying thing there is how can we do this better? Exactly. And it's and it's looking at every single component and saying, is there a way just to make this better? I, may, I mentioned the rear. The other one is the front because on I believe it or not, on a GT2. The factory front wings are identical, whether it's a narrow-bodied or a wide-bodied car. They're all identical right. apart from the little plinth at the back we're talking about. But at the front end, of course, you've got the arches bolted on. So on most of the factory GT2s, you will see a kink in the front bumper where the arch meets because the technicians, when they build it, they bolt, bolt it to the front wing and then bend it out to fit the arch and then yeah. bolt it to the arch. But if you do that, it kinks. So what we do is slot the holes, move the holes in the bumper to subtly move the bumper out a fraction yeah. along the, the line of the, the front wing so that it lines up and there's no kink. And we do the same on the rear. And the problem is that you'll now go around looking at factory cars oh, well, and oh, you'll well. tell the factory cars because they're wrong, deliberately wrong, yeah. and they were always like that. Ours won't be. Because I've looked at it and said, well, can we make that just a little tiny bit better? Does it get annoying having... It's, it's obviously a mixed blessing because it's great because it means you're continually striving to make it a bit better. Yep. But then also, does it hit a point where you're like, okay, there's this problem I've found, but it's, it's going to be really expensive to rectify this one or those sorts of things? Um. No, not really, because Porsche are pretty good. They are. So they're not giving us cars that are... That are yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to name names at all, but it's, it's not like an Italian car that you have to rewire every 10 minutes yeah. um, or one that rots apart. They've given us some brilliant standard cars. The 964 in standard form, it's a great little car. The 993 is a lovely little car. The early 911, I had an SC for 13 years. I loved it. Um, I thrashed it mercilessly. I got it with 50,000 on it. I sold it with 80,000, 90,000 on it. And I just loved it. And it never missed a beat. So 
We've all got these, <laughs> we've all had these early 911s, they're great little cars. The question is not, is not how can we make them less reliable, it's how can we make them better without sacrificing that reliability. Yeah. So Porsche have already done the job for me. There's no, there's nothing bad on these cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is just something that Porsche decided they could do better. And the best example of that is to look at a G Series 3.2 Carrera. Um, this back date behind us here, the, the Aubergine One is is a 3.2. You look at something like that and compare it with a 964. And um, the 964 is, they said, I think about 85, 90% of the car is different because the heater system is different. It's got a, uh, a CCU, a control unit. It's got servo motors on the heater. Well, that's Porsche adding development onto an existing product and they came up with a radically different car but it all works the frustration for me now is building the cars is you realize that we take it for granted that a 30 year old porsche should still work as it came out of <laughs> yeah. the factory and i think the realization now is no they don't yeah and it's and what we've learned from taking them apart and putting them back together again intimately is 90% of the problems we, we face are from people who have, who have put their spanners or tools on the car and screwed something up and made it, made it worse. They fitted uh, hi-fi systems or alarm systems or whatever, the bane of our life, um, and hacked into wiring looms and so on. And we spend a lot of time putting things back to ground yeah. zero, which is the way that Porsche built it. And then you've got a reliable basis. But things like the heater system I mentioned, every 9M car build we do, we take all the servo motors out and have them rebuilt. You could buy brand new ones from Bosch. Two grand, thank you very much. But we just take them out and have them all uh, retract, reworked, reserviced, and put them back in. Which, I don't know, five, six hundred quid or whatever. But I do it because what I don't want is a 30-year-old servo failing on a client in the middle of America or, yeah. or whatever. So you have to... You, what we have to do is to look at the cars now and say, this is a 30-year-old car. It might look beautiful. It might be yeah. polished by the guy in the showroom who you bought it off. It might have nice wheels on it. Most of the cars coming in, they've got 15-year-old tyres on. Yeah. So can we make this better? Yes. You can put brand new top mounts on it, your brand new rubber in it, brand new sh shock absorbers on. We can make your 964 or 93 drive like a new old stock car. And that's my philosophy is... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Go through it and make sure everything is perfect so that you're getting the best driver experience that you can out of what you've got. So the starting point is not to not to get in a 140,000 mile 964, 993 or whatever and expect it to be perfect and drive like a 911 should. It won't. Yeah. Be realistic about what you buy. <laughs> and honestly, we've had clients buy 50 grand 3-2 Carreras and they need the same spending on them to get them to the state where you think, that's a car I want to drive and yeah. I, want, I don't want to enjoy. But how do you explain that to somebody who spent half their life savings on on something? You can't. So I think... It's really tricky. Yeah, yeah. But, but the secret is, these 911s are fun. They are. They're, they're fun. And... The older you go, the more simple they are, the easier they are, they are to work on. Okay, the more expensive the parts are because they're, they're getting rare now or you have to remanufacture them. But if you're going to have a 911, just make sure it's right, make sure it drives right and everything is right. Um, personally, I can live with the car with stone chips on the front or a scratch here and there or damaged bodywork. 
I can live with something with a tatty interior or a tired interior, but I can't live with a car with mechanical compromise. Yeah. That's not in my ethos. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was something I, I, I've driven a lot of the similar sorts of, of, of 911s. And um, my takeaway from overall, because I, I meanwhile I have my SC throughout all of this, and I get back in my SC and I'm like, I know what my SC cost and I know what these builds cost and I can see, you know, I can see the hours that go into these cars. Um, but the driving experience, I realized like for me, fundamentally, if you put the good driving bits in, and it doesn't have to be crazy power or anything, so not heavy, but like good suspension and everything's bolted in correctly, the driving experience is very similar. Like it's still a 911, as long as you've got the right bits in it. Um, and that was a really like nice takeaway to go, there are these things that are like jewelry and you know, you're really like, oh, I really fancy one of them. But you get a lot of it from just having a really good sorted, mechanically sorted car. I think you mentioned 911 SC. Uh, my first 911 was an SC. Um, it done 55,000 miles. It was on Bill, it was a sport. It was on Bill Stein suspension. And I thought, great, I've got the best car. Um, so I went out and thrashed it around and spun it on a couple of roundabouts and thought, what the heck, you know, what, you know, what's going on here? The tail was wagging the dog. And, and if you went through a series of S bends, it, the, the, the back end got larrier and larrier and larrier until you were fighting the darn thing. <laughs> And in the end, I spoke to a mate in the trade who, who uh, he just said, God, he said, he said, it doesn't matter whether it's done 50,000 miles or it's 20 years old. He said, it's your dampers. I said, they're shot. Well, they've only done 50,000. The Bilsteins, they're shot. So, as crazy as things, I mean, back in the day, I paid 18 and a half grand for the car and then went out and spent, I think, about a grand or 1,500 quid on a set of new Bilstein dampers and put them on and then put new bushes on the rear spring plates. And then I remember doing it. I remember wheeler lining it in my backyard because didn't have the business at the time. So we used string. You yeah, put, yeah, yeah. You, you put string all around it's it, reliable. measured it, measured it, drove it, set the camera, had a little camber gauge, set the cameras up and everything else. And I took the car out. Oh my word, it was a revelation. So I, I bought the car with 55 on it. I think I did this job at about 60, 62. I kicked myself because I'd wished that I did it the day I bought yeah. the car. Because all of a sudden, you could go into these these S-Bends and you could literally kick the back end, you could get the back end just out ever so slightly and then flip it the other way and then back again. And it never, ever got out of control. You could slide it and it would just come straight back again and drive. It was immense. And it just... Honestly, you could slalom the thing through cones. It was beautiful. And that, that, the first experience, I didn't tune the engine. I didn't do anything. I think I put a set of second-hand heat exchangers on it because my heat exchangers were rotten. No surprise there. Um, but that suspension change just said it all for me, is that you didn't need to make it better. You just need to make it right. Yeah. You know, and of course, I, I put slightly different, some, I put club sport rear billies on. I put... Um, uh, I think race front billies in, which are just slightly stiffer on the bum. And it was a revelation. We did a few track days. It was sensational. Uh, the car, eventually I converted the engine from a 3 litre to a 3.2. Still got the crankcases, ironically. 
And um, I did a tuning job on the engine with an exhaust and Motec, and we ended up with 270 horsepower out of it. And it was fantastic, the car. I did hundreds of miles, I think, at the end. I think I sold it with about 90,000 on or something like that after, after 13 years. But the only reason I sold it is because I bought my 993 RS Club Sport. So when you look at the 993 RS Club Sport that starts with 300 horsepower with a six-speed box ABS and, and an immense chassis, you look at the SC and you think, yeah, I'll take the RS, thanks. So unfortunately, it became a little bit unloved. And then when we moved house, the wife said, you're either going to drive it or sell it. <laughs> so a mate of mine came up and said, I'll help you out. So... So Paul bought it, and he had it for 13 years as well. So eventually we, we bought it back off Paul and built used the car and built it as a um, as a back date. So we did a 911, 9M11S back date for uh, uh, a client in Surrey, that was Adam. Um, we did a grey car, black interior with red seats, and it was, it was beautiful. And that, that was one of the cars that kicked off a whole, whole yeah. area of interest in Neumeister because we had another customer awesome. come in and said, I want one. And I want it that colour, you know. And this, you know, I want it that colour, and but I want it brown into. Yeah, anyway, you know, you know yeah. how it goes for the rest. But so the car was has been in the Nairmeister family for over thirty odd years, which is, which is really nice. But, That's cool. So how do you choose? So you're the ST building there based on a nine six four. Why nine six four base when you could easily do G series or SC or or early or whatever like you, you could do all these sorts of things why 964 is it um, is it is a great question and I'm going to answer it in the way without really name dropping I was involved with the very first bill for Singer and um, Rob Dickinson invited invited me to to supply him with an intake system and engine components and engine management system so on for his for his first car so we Sure enough, flew over to the States and helped him put the car together. That was a G-Series. And we were sat there. We managed to build a car in a week. Oh, it was crazy. We were, we were burning. It was midnight oil job. And back on the tools at 8 o'clock in the morning, we were doing 15, 16-hour days. And, and then by the Friday morning, I think it was the Thursday night, we worked all the way through the night. And it's... it's six o'clock in the morning it drove onto the trailer and we got it to the first show and the rest is history um but that the reason why i'm telling you this is because the first show was as that was at laguna seca um the car received a massive amount of interest and the and the night the that, that night we were on the show for two days and we all shared a house together well basically robert rented this massive bungalow and we all we're all sleeping there overnight. And we sat around having pizza and beer around the, the kitchen table. It was like a, a conference table, to be honest. I think it was about 10 or 12 of us there. I remember getting a spreadsheet, built or writing a spreadsheet on a piece of Phil's cat paper for Rod, telling him how much it was going to cost to build it and the fact he needed to charge more. <laughs> that was ironic, wasn't it? And, um, <laughs> and then it, the, the question came out, is, anyway, why are you building it on a G-Series? And he just went, well, because they're the best cars. Because he was, he was a, he liked his uh, 911 hot rod, his yeah. old bomber, bomber or whatever it was called. He said, "Why?" I said, "Well, you're putting a six-speed box in it. You're putting a 3.6 engine in it, or 3.8. You want ABS. You want a heater system that works. You want power steering. You, I said, you want all these luxuries in a decent car that's going to cost three, four hundred grand, whatever. 
then why not just start with a 964 because it's got everything that you need. And he kind of, it was like, you could see the kind of penny dropping in his head and all of a sudden it was like, duh. Um, so sure enough, um, I think they were already committed to build number two, which was a G series. And I think build number three uh, was on a G series and then they, they switched to a 964 following my lead. And, and, and so that answers the question really is why a 964? Well, the answer is, it looks like an early 911. It's got the right headlights, it's got the right roof line, it's got the right uh, engine lid line. I don't. It's a subtle thing. I don't know if you'd ever noticed that the 993 engine lid is actually higher than a 964. The lights are higher. Okay. So if you follow the roof line down on a 993, you find it kicks up at the bottom of the rear window, whereas a 964 continues down in the curve that was originally mm. designed by Porsche. Um, so the 964 has the original Porsche body, which has all the right lines. It's got the right stance and so on. Um, but it has a computer-controlled heater system, the servos, so it actually works. Well, in the 911, the mysteries of a G-series heater system, so most is still... <laughs> yeah. I know I understand it, and I can explain it in easy words, that you know, with the sliders and controls everywhere, but the bottom line is most people jump in a modern car, they just press auto. Yeah. And that's what they want. So to have something that, that echoes of a modern car where you can just basically just set the temperature to 18 or 19, whatever you want, and it does it for you, I don't consider that a luxury anymore. And of course, we've all been in 911s when we're trying to get them into a tight parking space or out of parking space, and the steering is blooming heavy when it's, you know, and, and dare I say, you know... <laughs> I've done weights most of my life, but it's still it's still heavy, you know, and, and irrespective. If you've got a car with power steering, especially a car with hydraulic power steering, I'll say that rather than electric, it works and you get used to it. And most modern cars are over servo, they have they have better brakes. They have ABS. Well you can't fit ABS to a um a, a G series car because um it has something called positive scrub on the front suspension which means that if the ABS was working the car would actually dive outwards whereas on a, oh, nice. on a 964 993 it has negative scrub which means that when the ABS works the the the, break, the wheel that's braking turns in which keeps it safe so because of the geometry of the car you can't put ABS on a G-series um, so you start ticking all the boxes and you say well I want a five-speed gearbox, a nice five-speed box. Well, yeah, yeah. the only one that works is, is the 964G uh, or the G50. So the G-Series, you'd have a G50 by choice. Um, but then you say, I'd like a six-speed. Well, the 993 six-speed drops straight in. Um, I want a big engine. Well, you've already got a 3.6. You can easily build that as a 3.8 or ultimately a 4-litre again. So you've got all the basis of all the right bits and the... And it's just a better place to start. Um, that's it, really. You know, why start on a 964? The only downside now is that I persuaded Singer to go with a 964. They've ended up buying pretty much every 964 in the <laughs> blooming country, so you can no longer buy a 964. I'm lucky that I've got... I've, I managed to buy one before they went over 50 grand, and I, I sold a left hooker, bought a right hooker, and that's that's currently down the body shop, being converted into a, a 9M64 RS 3.8. So it's a wide body, that's... You might see that sometime in the summer next year. Yeah. That'll be finished. So, um, and now I'm nice to build. I'm going to use that as a test bed for the new four litre engine. Um, yeah, but the 964 is, is just a great place to be. Um, 
But the funny thing is, the 993 is actually a better place to be because it's, <laughs> because it's got a six-speed gearbox and it's got everything else. The only thing the 993 has is the different body style, which, um, um, and you either love it or you hate it. Uh, I, I love the 993, but I, I my passion really is in the earlier 911s yeah. with, the, um, with the upright headlights and I think, yeah, so... It is. It's hard to get away from that. Yeah, I, I do like the earlier shapes. And as, as time goes on, I drive more stuff and I've owned more things and whatever. I'm, I think I'm sort of, I'm going earlier. I'm yeah. like, I want something early. Um, Have you, yeah, but when was the last time you drove a 2.2S or a 2.4T? Well, this is the thing. I've not, I've not driven one and I'm sure I'll drive it and I'll be like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> The re... The, yeah, nostalgia overtakes reality, I'm afraid, in, in that we all, we all love the early 911s. You know, they're iconic. I mean, it's quite funny because um, recently we just watched the new um, Top Gun film, which, of course, the lead actress has got a silver 911S. Yeah. And it's quite funny because one of the cars in the background here that's, that's up on a, on a frame is a, um, is a 1976- 9.11.2.7 that, that we bought and we're actually converting it into a 2.7 RS looker. Um, and I'm building it, I'm building it as a joint project with my daughter, you know, she's, she joined the business and I, I wanted to, cool. to go around and learn all the different aspects of the build. So she's following that car through. So I said, nice. look, you put all the effort in and do all of that, I'll pay for it and we'll joint own it, you know, so. Um, so she's doing all that. And the funniest thing of all is that is that we're watching Top Gun and sure enough the scene comes on with the early 9-11 and, and yeah, I can't remember the actress's name, I'm afraid, and she's leaning against the car. And Jess just went, will I look like Goodwin? <laughs> <laughs> and it was that reality, we just think, yeah, actually, <laughs> it's that early 9-11 look, it's just iconic, the pre-impact bumper style yeah. of that car, it's light, it's, it's delicate, it's, it's everything, and, and that, that is the look. The problem is the reality of driving an early 911 with modern traffic. If you, if you love old cars, you're going to be fine. But the, the underpinnings, you need an engine that's that starts and runs and drives and it's reliable. So forget carbs and mechanical fuel injection and all the rest of it. No, EFI. Just put EFI on it. Yeah. So that's what we're doing with this one. Um, the gearbox you can live with, the 915, is, it's a good box. But it gets berated, but I wouldn't change it just for the sake of changing it. And the chassis is just alive. You don't put big wheels and big tyres on it and big sticky rubber. No, you want something that tells you what's going on underneath your fingertips. You want the wheel jiggling about and following the roads. Mm. You know, as I used to say, you could you could tell who 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 laid the tarmac on the road by driving a Line <laughs> Eleven. They're so communicative, and, and I can't disagree with that. They are. And there's something that will get into your soul is having a relatively lightweight Nine Eleven, somewhere around a thousand kilos, a couple of hundred horsepower. You don't need any more. Yeah. But for me, the standard cars look fantastic, but the reality of driving them is, is that with a few subtle little improvements, they can just be that little this, bit better that makes them accessible. This is my problem. Because I'm like, I love, I love the idea of an early car, mm. but I also like kind of messing with stuff. And I also like stuff that has been done... So, properly is not quite the right word what i mean is like this has got a completely seam welded chassis yeah well if i 
if I was having an early 911, I basically want it to be like a two litre cup car. Yeah. But as a road car. So it's, it's had all the stiffening. It's had all the stuff. I wouldn't have a race engine in it though, because it's a road car. So, yep. but then you're like, what are you ending up with? You're ending up with a modified whatever or other, rather than like a historic thing. But then it's for driving. Yep. Hopefully you haven't spent too much money in the process. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I, I, I like them all. I, I could I can literally. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you just have, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, the people that have like every RS car ever or like, mm. you know, one car from each 10 year period or five year period or something. I was like, this is bonkers and completely boring. Whereas now I look at it and go, yeah, yeah, I could have a 996 RS. I could have a 964. I could have a, you know, early, because they're all different. And the more you nerd about it, the more you appreciate the yeah. the difference. They are still the same. <laughs> uh, well, I think the key, the key is maybe one of the things I said earlier is that I'm an analog guy in a digital world and and Look, we, we're a Porsche specialist. We look after all the modern cars, 991s, 992s. They, they, they all come in. We do KNs, occasional Panameras, lots of McCanns. And they're all great cars. But for me, the day the day that the, the Porsche stopped being analogue was the day that things started to go a little bit, mm, for me. Which Where's that what, point for you? 997 GT3. That's the end or the start? End. Yeah, 997 GT3, I think, is, is, and probably the RS, you know. The, the more modern RSs are stunningly fast, but they just, again, they're probably too, I think once you get well over 400 horsepower, they're just too fast for modern roads. I, I drove a, a 991 RS fairly recently, and in all honesty, I I floored it, and it was PDK, and I floored it, and I got from kind of 30 mile an hour to 130 mile an hour on a private road. Yeah. Um, within, I don't know, five seconds, six seconds, I stood on the brakes, went round and roundabout, parked it, thought, I'm 
never driving that again because it's just too quick for the road. So for me, you, you've got to look at things and think, well, okay, modern roads, modern traffic, how can you enjoy a 911? How can you enjoy driving something at sensible speeds? And the answer to that is 1,000 kilos, 1,100 kilos, yeah. two to 300 horsepower. It's all you need. Yeah. And having something that's fun without being socially unacceptable. And the 911 just does that in, in bucket loads. Whichever one you get, you know. I mean, my first car, 911 SC, still a fabulous little car. The only negative now is that so many of them have been neglected. I'm not going to say abused, but neglected that to buy a decent one and then to have to put kidney balls, wings, sills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you, you spend look, a lot of money. You're going you're gonna to spend 100 grand restoring a 911, whether it's an SC or a 27RS. Yeah. It's going to be 100 grand. Yeah. So let's, get, let's start with some, a reality check here, is that unless you're doing it yourself and you're quite talented, there's no cheap way of doing a 911. So you might as well just get a really good one and start with that. Um, but they're all brilliant little cars in their own right. When they're right. When they're right. When everything works. I wish I could just dial in. Like every time I get in a car, you want like the person that knows that particular era model really, really, really well and just like pop them in the driver's seat for five minutes and then they can be like, this is good or this is not good. And then you're like, okay, I'm not going to judge this car or this whole line of this car based on this model at this point in time. But there is definitely, I, I, I'm with you, uh, lots of journalists say this, but like, okay, I do have a 997 RS, but that car versus any 991 or any car since, there is a step change in kind of what you feel. And I, I think it's the steering. For me, it's the steering. Yeah, EPS. The electric power steering. Ironically, we do have one, one or two clients who ask us to put the electric power steering on the early 911s, and you can do that, and it, but it's electric assistance. Um, the beauty of it is you can turn it off. You don't have to use it. Yeah, but, and you, you, can, like, ramp, you can ramp it as well, so it turns yeah, off so above it, a certain speed. Yeah, the, 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 those systems are great. They're linked in with the alternator, so they know the engine speeds or, or road speeds, so as soon as the engine starts to rev, it just ramps down. Yeah. It's linked in with the speedo, perhaps. Um, so they've got little systems, but for me, the cars with, as soon as you start putting electric steering on you, it's not a direct one-to-one, -one, it's just kind of, uh, not quite there. And then you've got rear wheel steer, you know, which which comes in. And, and don't get me wrong, technically, they are stunning. Technically, they will go around the Nürburgring faster, faster, faster than Mega. any previous car. But what is the point? Because 99% of people who buy these cars, who take them on track, they're only driving within maybe 80 or 90% of the potential of the car, and they think they're going fast. Whereas if you put them in an old 911 SC or 2.7 or a, or a 9.64, they'd be going at maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 seconds a lap slower. But you'd be sliding the thing. You'd be enjoying it. You'd be learning where to brake and where not to brake and how to control slides and so on. Whereas modern cars are so bloody... They, they just do it all for you. Now, Nine Meister used to used to um, well, we we initiated a track day at Alton Park called the RS Day. I had the nine nine three RS. We had customers with nine six fours. So we got all, we all got together and said, right, let's have an RS Day, and we go down and 
give or take, most most of them had about three hundred or two to three hundred, two fifty, three hundred horsepower. And we had fantastic days, and if you wanted to go quick, you'd have a cup car. You put it on slicks, and it was great. But bottom line is, everybody respected each other. Everybody went out there and had, had a great time. Um, and this year, I went to the RS Day again, and I think it should be renamed a GT Day because it's GT4s, GT3s, GT4 RSs, GT3 RSs. I'm not knocking them. They're all stunningly quick, but it's just like watching a traffic jam go past at super high speed because it's a zoom, 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 zoom. They're all doing similar speeds. And there are very few drives out there that you can actually see, visibly see, a car slide and move in a corner or drift as it's going into a corner, which you can do with ABS. I've done it with my 993. You can actually... Um, four-wheel drift a 993 under under ABS braking. I've never seen anybody do that with the, with the more modern cars because they're just so fast that most of them are, are going at the limit of the driver's comfort zone and the capability is far better. But, but they go out and have a great day and they come in and, and they've had a lovely time, fantastic. But for me, it's it, there's nothing to it. It's like a video game. I don't know, though. PDK. Just... Yeah, but go drive a. If you, there's. I think you've got to separate two things here. You've yeah, got to exactly. separate. Like I say, I'm an analog guy, so. But also, you've got to separate to people that are driving the car, like let's say near or at the car's limit, or at least limit of traction, because we know that you put in someone that's like super hot, and they will be a bit smoother and a bit faster, um, versus people that have gone to a track day, they've bought a car and they want to enjoy it, but they're, they're nowhere near that limit. Put someone that can drive at that limit in an older car or a modern car. They are fun. And you get you get a different experience. You, you it get, is a different it's experience. It's a different experience. 100%. And you get, I, I find, yeah, and you can take both parts out of that. Like, yeah. For, I think for me, for me, the cars are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As a road car, you look at a Boxster, you know, it's a problem. You know, the original Boxster, super little car, nine eight seven, just nine eight seven, slightly wider, nine eight one, slightly bigger than the late one. Oh, seven one eight, bigger still. Then we've got Spiders, which is a sensational, but bigger, bigger, bigger. Nine nine, what safer? The, the nine, yeah. So. It's interesting that most of most of my clients who are, are analog kind of guys are homing in on the Cayman as being the successor to the early nine elevens rather than the the nine eleven itself. You see more enthusiasts, I would say, with Cayman GT fours or GT fours or, or the GT, Caymans. To be honest, GTRs, if you see someone with a yeah. Cayman, they're they're like normally an enthusiast. Whereas lots of nine elevens have might buy a nine eleven for many reasons. Um, and they are also really heavy now. Yeah. So I, I think I think for me, everything has its place. Um, Nijmeister has um, recognised the difference between the and the old school enthusiasts, the airheads like, like myself, and the more modern drivers who love the GT4s, 4RSs and so on. And we have tuning programmes for those cars as well, which is very successful. Peter runs that side of things. He's learned all the nuances of the later cars and 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 manages that, that those packages really well. Um, when it comes to the old air-cooled stuff, then my phone rings, and I love chatting about it. And, and there's not much with the air-cooled cars that we've not been there and done. Mm. Um, yeah, I think 
I think going forward, the only the only the only thing I would have really is Metsa Envy, which is the the GT three engines. <laughs> the GT three engines are just sensational. You know, if we, they we, are. If we could get an air cooled, a proper air cooled uh, nine eleven engine, um, up at the sort of four hundred to four fifty horsepower range, you know, an air cooled, uh, a normally aspirated engine in the back of one of these that uh, would be fantastic. Um, we're working on that. We've got a four litre. Like I say, we're tuning for high torque now because most of our customers are really are road cars. And for road cars, you just want torque. Yeah. So we've actually exceeded the, the torque of a four litre GT3 with our four litre air cooled Vario Ram. Um, still in development, but hopefully that, that will fill some of the need. And if we can go on further and, um, and maybe find a few more revs at some point and do a little bit more development on it, then perhaps we can get the other end of the scale as well. Particularly but, talk about other things other people have done. But have I you know. seen that 911K? Yeah, um, I have. Uh, don't get me wrong, Rich, Rich has done a stunning job on that. It's pretty um, hilarious. And being an engineer, I understand that. I understand the ethics of it. It's, it's got a, it's got a short stroke, 66 mil crank on a 100 mil bore with GT3 style heads, and and basically it's a GT3 short stroke GT3 engine. So hence, hence you've taken 400 horsepower, 3.6, and made it or 360, and made it a three, three, 3.1, which is a 66 stroke. It's it's a beautiful concept, you know, and of course. Keeping it small means, with a short stroke, means you've got your piston speeds at sensible levels and you put smallest valves in there that you can. So you've got a lightweight valve train that will run up there. Awesome. Great job. Um, I wish I've had the customer a budget to do it myself, but um, w- <laughs> well done to him. You know, I mean, why? When you can just get a, well, you could stick a standard, I'm not being funny, but you can stick a, a 3.8 Vario Ram in the back and get 350 horsepower. It's not about, the, the beauty of it is it's not about the, it's not about the power. It's not about the torque. Well, it's about it. the revs. It's this. It's the insanity of the revs. Yeah, great. You know, yeah, it's, it's, carbon fiber car. It's got. It's got its place in the market. I think he's, he's developed a lovely little niche there. And, uh, it's and a, yeah, I wish him all success. It's a funny. It's, it's it's a cool. It's a cool project. It's a hoot. It, yeah. And it's one I look at and go. I don't think I'd necessarily want to own it or really drive it that much, but I'd love to have a go. And it looks nuts. That's that's how I sort of look at it. Um, but yeah, it's quite quite a cool thing. So, what do you do with the? Um, you do some some Cayman stuff. What do you do with the Cayman? Um, yeah, I'm I'm not the right guy to talk about okay. it in intimate detail. But but essentially, the the starting point with our program uh, programs were to look at the dual mass flywheels that were in, in most of the cars. So. 993, we started with a 993 dual mass. A lot of people put an RS flywheel in it, it's too light. So we did a mid-weight flywheel, huge success. Um, Peter did the same with the Caymans, um, did a lightweight flywheel for those, made a massive difference, especially to the early spiders. So that was the starting point. Then we looked, started looking at exhaust systems. Um, uh, on the GT4s, we came up with a header package, a 200 cell cap package on the earlier cars. Re- uh, we've got a, a brilliant guy who does a lot of the remapping work with us for the, for the later cars who works with the OEM manufacturers as well. So super high level tuning. And we've managed to achieve some really stunning results. I think one of them, I think we took, we took a GT4 from sort of 400 horsepower to 450, you know, it was a 56 or 59 horsepower game with headers and cats and, yeah, and remap. And, it, and people said, oh, yeah, you know, the, 
you always get the naysayers in the game and just say, oh, it can't be done. Up. Because they can't do it, they, they assume that nobody can yeah. do it. And we just did it. You know, we looked at it, we looked at first principles and just you just ignore what everybody else has done and think, well, what seems right? And we put this package together, did it, my word, did it work? Um, on track, it was quicker than other, manuf other tuners' cars of similar claimed power. So as far as I'm concerned, if we're quicker on track, then it's better. It, we're making the power that we say it's going to make. Yeah. So that was the, that was kind of the starting point of it all. And then it's just obviously Porsche bring out different models. Um, there are tuning options with um, bypass pipes and so on that, that customers can choose for track use. Um, and we've made, and again, this goes back to this synergy thing. There's no point in just, you don't want just more power. You, you don't want just a little bit more response. If you just combine it all together and put a little bit more torque with a better responsive engine from a flywheel change and with more top-end power, it means on the road, driving at normal speeds, it, it drives better. Mm. You can gear change faster and better and you get it out on track and it is just quicker, win, win, win. A nice suspension set up as well on it. None of, none of these modern 911s need fancy suspension. You know, you get... I wouldn't advocate changing everything on it. Just just get the best out of what you've got. Square one. Ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, but the response, and I think, you have to kind of remember back, I, I learned that it was a very interesting style years and years ago, and, and I know people are going to latch onto this and I'll get inquiries for 968 supercharger packages soon. We took it, we did a package on a 968, it did 350 horsepower, and we, we took this supercharger 68 to Autosport, and this German guy popped onto the stand and looked under the bonnet and just went, what boost? And we just said, oh, seven PSI. Oh, 350 horsepower. He said, three litre? Yeah, 350 horsepower. So it looked to him a bit strange. Anyway, turns out he was a development engineer for Porsche. They supercharged a 944 S2. They, got, they put 0.7 of a bar of boost in. They got 350 horsepower. And then he says, um, yeah, he says, uh, you, he says well, why did you supercharge it? And I just said, well... The 968 cylinder heads. I said the ports were just way too big, and he laughed. And he said, "Yes." He said, "Porsche built the 968 engine, then designed some small port heads with vario cam timing, and it made 300 horsepower and was faster than the 911." So they took the turbo head that they designed with big ports, put that on, changed the manifold, detuned it, and that's what you got: 240. Um, and that kind of it reminded me that Porsche basically engineer their products to suit within a marketing niche. 100%. So that's why the GT4 is starting off 400-ish horsepower and the GT3, 440, yeah. 450, whatever, and the RS is a 500. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that the engines are any different. Yeah. So all we've done basically is taken, is looked at that and thought, well, okay, so you put the cup intake on, which is the GT3 intake, you, you do the remapping on it, you, you open up the exhaust system, and all of a sudden, st engine is pretty much standard underneath, but you go 56 horsepower gain. Yeah. And it's there. But the marketing men decided that you couldn't have it. Yeah. So we're not doing anything groundbreaking. We're just, we're just changing the fundamental decisions that have been made. It would be so cool <laughs> to spend... And I know a few people that have sort of been in some of the sort of back rooms of Porsche where they have oh, some of so the cars. But to, to sort of sit down with someone that's been on one of these teams that's done all development stuff, because if you're Porsche and you do the development, they have, they've done all the stuff that people are doing 
aftermarket. Like maybe not quite, but like they've pushed, you know, they've taken the engine until it blows up and then they've dialed it back a bit and gone, well, we know it can do this, but we're not going to sell that. And there are, you know, running around, there'll be like a four and a half litre Metzger engine in a GT3 well, I'll t- I'll development t- car or whatever. I'll tell you a nice little story now that, uh, I'm trying to think what, what year it was, when, when would it be? 996 GT3 was out, 997, I think, so what was that, 2004, five-ish. Um, I designed a four-litre engine for, for my 903 race car. So we were running 103 bore. Um, we decided that 104 bore was unreliable. The, the bore the bore stability was not there on an air-cooled engine and basically you'd, you'd run 104 bore for, for more than a few, probably 50, 60 hours on a dyno or, or on a racetrack and it'd go out of shape and you'd lose power. So we decided 103 was as far as we would push it. Um, the standard 3.8 was a 102, so that gives 3.75 and we got 3.82. And then we did the maths and we said, well, we're using 132 Comrod here. If we go to 130.2 Comrod, we can actually go to an 80 mil bore stroke. So you put an 80 mil stroke with a 103 bore, you get 3999.5 cc, four litre. So we did it. Went to a UK crank manufacturer. We made five cranks. We put them in engines. Uh, we built, I think, three engines. One of, one of them... Uh, yeah, one of them ended up in my race car and we, we were well over 400 horsepower on our dyno. And then we got an inquiry from somebody who knew us through the trade, who was an engineer with a lot of contacts, and said, can I buy a crank off you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I needed the money at the time. So I said, yeah, go on then. So I sold him the crank. Where did the crank go? Germany. Where did it go in Germany? To a well-known German tuning house. What did it end up in? GT3. And what did the GT3 do? Well, it ended up with a four-litre GT3. It was no surprise to us that about mm, maybe a year after we announced this, that the 997 GT3 four-litre came out. Ours was 80 by 103. The Porsche engine was 80.4 by 102.7. Coincidence? I don't think so. Porsche basically through the back door bought one of our cranks, had a had a tuner stick it in a GT3 engine, realised that we were onto something, then built their own four litre engine. Does Maybe that, does that ask you a question? Maybe. Well, we know it was fact, you know. So at the end of the day, we know it's fact. I'm not going to drop names. It's, I don't I don't want to embarrass anybody in the business. But at the end of the day, we built the first for proper true four litre engine mm. in the country. It wasn't. It wasn't a 104 that everybody else claims to be a 4-litre, which is actually a 3.9. It was a true 4-litre engine, and it and it ran for hours and hours and hours in the back of my car. One one ended up in South Africa. One's in a customer's 964 club sport that we built for him. Um, I think, yeah, it's just... It, yeah. So that, that, that kind of... That can spawn the 4-litre GT3 RS, which, which I'm quite proud about, really. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not wealthier as a result of it, you know. It's just, <laughs> I just the cute. Oh, I can just uh, yeah, polish my knuckles or whatever. But it's yeah, it's 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 interesting. There are no new ideas in this business. It's just somebody's got there first or done it first. Yeah. Uh, but I think the only exception to that is is um, is probably Richard with his silly eight eleven thousand pound engine. So yeah, I'd have settled for nine, but he's done well. Yeah, fair play to him, you know. Yeah, that's that's cool. 
But it's it's cool that these these things exist and people are pushing stuff and like you said, if if you're approaching a build, like I've for ages, still do, still not sure. Would like I, I would like, I've got a three point eight. I'd kind of like a four liter. I drove a four liter and was like, Ooh, this engine's pretty. Mm. It's got some. It was the torque. The torque yeah. was the main thing. And actually driving, having driven some of the newer stuff, so like nine nine one, nine nine two, they've got more torque. Yeah. Um, but actually, as times gone on one I actually drive the car less but I'm also a better driver and I don't mind so much yeah you're just like oh just be more committed there was a, <laughs> an interesting conversation with one of our clients who who had a a black 9M93 RSR it was a wide body so it looked like a GT2 but I had the RS Club Sport rear wing black car it's all over the internet you'll find it on YouTube and I remember having a discussion with him because we built him a 3.8 race engine for the back. And and then it came back in and we did a little bit more development work on the motor. And believe it or not, we actually reduced the compression ratio of the engine when we had it apart. And on the dyno, it made a little tiny bit less power. But what it did was two things. It, it dropped the running temperature of the engine slightly, but it also incredibly improved the acceleration and response of the motor because the motor wasn't working as hard to compress yeah. the gas. It just it just revved cleaner. It, just, it, it was beautiful. So we built this second generation 384, 382, throttle bodies, Motec. And he went out on track, and then I was chatting to him a while later and said, uh, we're doing a four-litre now. Do you fancy it? And he went, no. Really? I said, why? And, then, and he had this 903, and he says, Colin, he says, most of my mates, he does the RMA stuff, he says, most of my mates have got 997 GT3 RSs, 3.8s, right? He says, I'm faster. Okay. He says, a few of them now, like half a dozen or more, have bought four litres. He says, I'm just slightly slower, right? He said, if you make this car any faster, he said, I'll have nobody to race. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! You know, so it's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that remind, that's a reminder for track days really is that we're not chasing times we're just out there having fun it is just to have fun yeah it's just out there having fun that's it it made me laugh because um, yeah it was, a, it was a pretty special car that. that's, uh, that's gone on to a new owner now who, who, who does track days we've done a little tiny bit more development work on it it's got a new tractive suspension package semi-active and, and again that's something we're putting in all our builds now is um, is to have in-car adjustable you know and where's mm. tractive suspension come from? Well, it's really a, a spin-off from Porsche PASM or similar systems where you've got adjustable damping. Um, is it a perfect solution? Is it something that would be in every single race car known to man? No. But it's a great compromise for road use. It is pretty cool. And that's the key. And this is going back to right down to the philosophies, you know. Um, if rain don't broke, don't fix it. Standard... Standard suspension is absolutely fine, but there are times when you want it a little bit stiffer. There's a times yeah. where you're taking the wire to the theatre and you want it a little bit softer, or you're going on a trip on the on the NC500, you know, which we'd all love to do. And you want something that's com that's comfortable. So just to be able to sort of go on a little screen and change the settings and and enjoy the ride, and then you're going up to Scotland maybe and you maybe you're calling at, at Knockhill and and going to have a thrash on a track day and you can dial it up and. Then, Back to the hotel, yeah. dial it down again. It's pretty cool Great. tech. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, 
it, it's our equivalent, I suppose, of sport corona. Mm. Yeah. The next stage that I'll be bringing into the air-cooled engines is something that we've just played with with the 964 turbo motors uh, and dry-by-wire throttles. Okay. Um, we're looking at incorporating one of those on a, a, a Vario Ram engine. And the reason is not not necessarily the functionality of the dry-by-wire. I, I much prefer a cable myself you know, on race cars because they, they tend to be more responsive. But if you can use a race quality drive-by-wire ECU and get a one-to-one response pedal-to-throttle, pedal to yeah. then there is no drivability issues that you would you would get with a modern car. You know, I used I remember driving the first ever 996 with drive-by-wire and I used to beat the, beat the system all the time by kicking it on a down change and it just didn't move. I thought it was an error. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible setup. But, but the reason why we're going drive by wire is, is to give us functionality. And uh, the drive by wires are great because they, they, they will look after idle control. So you don't need an idle valve. They will stop you over revving it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They'll close the throttle if, you, if the revs go too high. Um, cruise control. They give you every option. And the biggest one, really, is that it will also allow you to program in driver response modes. So if it's wet, you can if you if you do put a four hundred horsepower engine in the back of a nine eleven, they'll take it. But in the wet, would you really want to be driving? Letting, yeah, letting your daughter take you, your nine eleven to the shops with four hundred horsepower with a hair trigger response. No, so you can dial it down, and that, and that, that's that's the beauty of where we, where we want to go. Really, is is to look at again adding more modern control systems into the earlier cars and and seeing how we can integrate it to, to end up with a better system and we don't do it just for the sake of doing it it's got to give us some advantage somewhere so there is more tech that we can put in without interfering with the driver the driver response and feel um yeah okay sounds sounds like you go is that all of those changes that that's it it's it's making it a bit more usable a bit better for the driving experience and then new customers and whoever can decide where they want to sit on this line. Yeah. With well, what. It, and again, it, it, it reflects, it reflects all these sensational cars that Porsche are now building. Yeah. That, that they've got massive amounts of tech in them. And what we're doing is cherry picking the best bits and saying, well, okay, could we use that? Could we, could, could we yeah. do something with this? You know, electric air consistent, okay. Air con systems again integrating them into the standard cars so that they, they operate like a standard system. You don't have extra buttons. You just turn the knob on your CCU and it works. Things like that. That That's what fires us up. And me and uh, one of my development engineers, Rob, who looks after the build shop, manages it. We're forever rewiring cars and, re and changing things and working out how to do things. You know, uh, we, you have cars coming in where they have damage the wiring looms and we remanufacture we re them you know you were saying before about one of our car builds the starting point really is the body shell in bare metal but we also take the wiring loom down to individual wires and anything we don't need we take out we don't leave it in and then check every single yeah. wire so you can't take a 40 year old car and, and assume that the wiring loom's going to yeah, be okay it's going to be fine <laughs> so when you compare our cars to to somebody else's have they taken it apart are they taking it down to the last wire and, and the last nut and the last bolt and the last screw? No. They might put a body kit on a 964 and paint it and call it a back date. No. We, we, engineering, it's got to be absolutely spot on. Mm. Trouble is, 
well, you can't see. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's difficult. You don't know. You don't know until you strip it back. <laughs> and then you're rebuilding we it. We got a pretty good guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so I normally wrap these up with five questions. Oh. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I like normal race, my, my, my hill climbs and sprint experience. I was like, on, on track, my most memorable, memorable run was at, Pre, was at Prescott Hill Climb. I think it was the last run of the year. And um, there's a 993 RS and I was on for winning the championship for the first time. And I had to, I had to basically win the class and, and basically went up the hill on the last run of the day, the last run of the year and set a new class record. I remember going across the line and just shouting out woohoo. And it was the most intense one minute of driving yeah. that I've ever had in my life. So we'll ignore that one. And I'll say the most memorable was actually with my wife in, in uh, Wales. Um, we, we'd taken the 911 SC on its new suspension out and we, and we, we did a trip around Festiniog and North Wales. And, and we'd just been battering around everywhere. And I remember coming back from. Where would it be? Um, Port Merion area. So Port Maddock, I think, Port Merion. And we come back over the top of the mountain. Um, I think Cleckwed Slate, Slate Quarry, we've been flying past there and I was overtaking traffic galore and just, just really enjoying the time. And it was just one of those journeys where you're out there just for the hell of it. We're both enjoying it, we're both relaxed and you're at one with the car. And you know exactly what it's doing. And I'm sliding it and just playing with it and using it, overtaking stuff. Everybody's flashing you. But we're talking 30 years ago now. So you open speed limits and, and just enjoy myself. And I remember just sort of coming come around the corner, coming down into Betsy Cohen and I just said, uh, we're going to stop now for a coffee, look. All right, okay. Is everything all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's wondering why I'm just sort of like slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. And she says, uh, what's going on? I just said, don't worry, though, I said, but we've got no brakes. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and we completely cooked the brake fluid. And it was just like, yeah, pum, 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 pum. Absolutely nothing. I said, but don't, don't, what? I was like, don't, 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 I said, don't, pass. It's all right, it's all under control. Just using the gearbox coming down. We pulled into a car park, no brakes, no handbrake, just left it there and just let it cool down. It'll, it'll be fine. You know, and she's absolutely bricking it. And it was just like, no, we'll be all right, though. It's just that look in her face when I say, we've got no brakes. There's nothing quite like no brakes. <laughs> like, nothing equal is the same as not having brakes. Yeah. So she, well, she wondered why I'm still doing 80 mile an hour with no brakes. So yeah. I just said, well, we've got to get some cooling air in it somehow. <laughs> this is not working for me. So we had this big argument. It's just like, right, okay, car park it is. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of the most that's memorable funny. ones. Yeah. Um, if you could only drive one sports car, for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? Ooh. And I, I, I kind of want it slightly specific. 96438 RS. Nice. Uh, it's got the look of the earlier 911 with the headlights. I love my 993, but yeah, the 964 just, just tips it. Great engine. Great gearbox. So, I mean, they're million pound cars now, so... I'm not going to drive one of those, so I'm building one. Fair enough. Nice. It's going to have a Vario Ram, four litre, six speed. Yeah, yeah, I've come back and drive it, Sam. I'm, I'm keen. <laughs> I'm keen. <laughs> it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> 
What is the most undervalued car at the moment? What do you think should be worth more? Hmm. 964 RS. Um, yeah, 964 RS, I would say. I've seen them going lately for 100 to 150k. But how can a 964 RS with a limited production run be worth 100 and, say 120? I thought there were more than that. Yeah, well... But I've not really been looking. No. I just... Uh, see, there are advertised prices and the prices the cars are absolutely, yeah, actually yeah, yeah. selling for. And there is a big difference. But I still think a 964 RS is, a, is an underrated bargain at anything below 150 grand. Because how can a standard 964 Carrera 2 be worth 80 or 90k? Yeah. And then, you know, the, the relative value is just not there. Now, when 964 RSs were 50 grand, a, nine, a Carrera 2 was 15. Yeah. For me, that's, that's one that stands out. But uh, yeah, I'm an airhead, you know, so I'm bound to say something like that. I mean, the early cars are looking after themselves, aren't they? I mean, you know, the early 2.4s or whatever at 100k, yeah, that's about right, I suppose. I think the SC and the 3.2 Carrera are about 50k, probably about right, but unfortunately there's a massive gulf between a good one and a bad one, and they're all, and the value difference is not really the same. Um, rare ones of those, like a Club Sport, 3.2 Club Sport, great little car, a bit underrated. Um... But they're about in the right place, 100-ish, 120-ish, something like that. Yeah. Relative to a standard car at 50. But I don't see how a Carrera 2 can be 80, 90 grand and an RS be 130, 140. Yeah, it doesn't... That gap is wrong. That's the, you're calling your mate and going, just borrow the extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there's, a, there's always something that's just slightly better, isn't there? That's, that's the problem. There is always going to be something that's a bit more expensive I, uh, and a bit more. I got the best advice in the world when I bought my 911 SC. I I, I bought bought a house. I it had gone up in value, equity was in it, and I took I took twenty grand's worth of equity out of the house. It was most I could borrow. Um, five grand, five hundred pound of it went to my brother who needed a new engine for his for his car. So I lent him the five hundred quid. And then I bought this SC for 18 and a half and I paid a grand extra for the number plate, which is which my wife's got on her car at the moment, it's a 911 plate. And the advice I got off, off the guy who, who was a specialist in the trade, who factored fact it for me, the guy I got is, just buy a bit more, borrow a bit more. I can't, I, I'm maxed. No, you need another four or five grand. Why? He says, buy a 2.7 RS. <laughs> I haven't got it. Don't, don't dollar down. Just buy a 2.7 RS. Steve, I've not got it. And I just had to buy the SE. I wanted a 3.2 Carrera. Desperately wanted a 3.2. Uh, mate had a red one. I couldn't afford this. His was 40 grand. You know, I was buying this SE mm. at 20-ish. I just couldn't afford any more. Five grand difference. And look where we are now. Yeah, I remember all that time ago looking in Exchange and Mart and seeing cars for sale, you know. And I remember Josh's adverts at Auto Farm and he'd... Uh, and, it, and the one that stood out for me was Brian Powley's three-liter RS. That's now there's an iconic car, mm. absolutely stunning. And the advert said something like, "No, no, no, nine eleven three-liter RS, the red one." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just <laughs> okay. And it wasn't silly money. I think at the time it was like 
if a 27RS was 25 grand, this was like 30. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I'm buying this at 20. I wish I had 30. Yeah. And now, 2 million. Yeah. And, and your, your way less likely to get a deal now with the internet and stuff. Like, people see cars that are out there, whereas if it's got to be in the paper or someone down the road is selling it and no one knows... You might you might sneak along their things. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you googling? What are you looking up? What are you working? You know, what's forefront of mind? Going to be a bit of a philistine here and say that I don't have any interest in any other cars, and I don't go on YouTube, and I don't okay. and I don't go on the internet looking at other cars. But my customers send me all sorts of things. Um. And the only one that I've watched of late, really, is, is should, I, should I dare I say, Richard's 911K, you know, and that, that's it. Only because it's insane. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I love the insanity of the engineering of it all. So that that's it. I would say that's probably the only one that's, that's piqued me interest because um, I'm not going to say I'm blinkered, but the problem with any anything in business is that if you are inf overly influenced by those around you, you end up making decisions like a committee would. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 So I've always liked myself at Nijmeister to be a salmon swimming upstream. And every logic sense in your head says you, you should be swimming the other way. And we've always done the things that people tell me are impossible. You can't do it. I mean, the number of times that people have, people have, we've, we've, publicized a car or an engine or a package or whatever and we've claimed 350 horsepower well the only way i'm ever going to write that is just being an engineer for me it's black or it's white there is no gray yeah there's a chart and there's numbers and there's on a it. chart and there's numbers on it and the numbers relate to that car on our dyno tested under our conditions on that time and there's a standard car in comparison and if i if the standard car makes 300 and ours make 350 then as far as i'm concerned it's made 50 horsepower yeah, in 300. Plus 50, yeah. Plus 50. That's it. Percentage-wise, you can work it out. Um, that, that was an interesting one in that we had, we had a guy in Australia who complained about his car because we sent him a package and he put it on and he just said, oh, it's not making the 350 that you made. I said, well, what does a standard car make on your dyno? I don't know. I said, well, put a standard car on and you, t <laughs> you tell me the percentage difference of this tuning package that I've given you and tell me whether it's right. And he came back and he said, it's 23%. I did the maths, an hour dyno, 23%. I said, so we may be comparing apples with oranges with pears. Yeah. I said, but as long as it's the same difference in size of the pear, I said, what does it matter? Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. Anyway, so, so yeah, doing, th doing things that people don't expect and doing, doing the hard things because it's the right thing to do and not running away from it because it's hard. It's really tricky not, not to sort of consume and pick up what other people are doing and being like, oh, okay, this is the sort of vibe. I, I, on a sort of small level with the podcast, I try and not listen to any interviews with people that I'm going to do, if, the, if the, there are some. Because then at least, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of fact-finding part of it. You're like, okay, it's good to consume some facts. Like there is an 11,000 RPM mentioned out there. You're like, oh, that's interesting kind of wonder how that happened or whatever or this person's been interviewed this is what they talked about but I don't want to I don't want to produce this 
in my sentence, I don't want to produce the same product. I don't want the output to be the same. So what you I'm putting in has to be kind of different or at least not be swayed. Interesting in a different way. Yeah, so, go, so going back to your question, you know, what, what's out there interesting me? Nothing. Because I'm, I'm working on, personally, my interest is analog air-cooled yeah. 911s and nothing's new, nothing's really changing. I mean, Rich is the only one that's come up with something different. And being an engineer, I've immediately worked out how he's done it and think, yeah, fair play. You know, it's not something I need or wanted to do, but fair play to him. And the, and the reason why he's done a little engine is because you can't do a big engine because it generates too much heat and you can't get rid of the heat. Yeah. And that's why I've never done it is because I want the bigger engines. But great, it's it's a great question. And and I would say that, you know, it's I've got piles of car magazines on my desk. I rarely read them. I flick through them. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose if I'm interested in stuff, it's kind of old school stuff, you know. Um, I'm a little bit into bikes, but not much. My mates are all bike nutters and mm. they're on a holiday at the moment in Germany. And I, I, so I rode my bike yesterday, you know, and believe it or not, I've got a 2014 Honda that's back dated to look like a 72, <laughs> a 72K Honda 750K naught. And it's really funny because I parked it at the bike, there was a little bike meet at a pub last night and I just parked it up and the number of guys have come over and scratching the head saying, well, it looks like a K0. <laughs> it's got a four into four exhaust. It's got the right tank. It's got the right colours. It's got the right everything, but it's bigger. You know, and then you explain what it is and you go, well, it's got ABS. It's got fuel injection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's reliable. It's a Honda, you know, and it, it does everything you want it to do. But it looks like a K0. So there's your answer, really. Even with my bikes, I'm driving retro, yeah. retro style modern bikes because I don't like. I'm not I'm not a fast rider in any way, shape or form. I just I just like bumbling around. But I like bumbling around on stuff that's cool. So the previous one to that was a Tri Bonneville, which of course is perfectly retro styled, but um I got an offer for that and sold it and then bought this. So I love it. And I love nice. the fact it confuses people and that I suppose it's it. a, a bit like our cars. You know what the, what the funniest one? Little comment. I was driving a red nine eleven, nine six four, and I sold it to fun to fund it. Hmm. A little project, so I stupidly sold it to Gene, uh, to a mate of mine. But anyway, red 964, took it to the gym, parked it. And I walked out, and there's two ladies walking out, and they're walking across the car park, and I'm, I'm like maybe 10 metres behind them, and, listen, and they're just chatting away. And one of them turns to the other and goes, oh, look at that, isn't it a lovely old 911? And I'm thinking, it's not an old one, it's a 964. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you where my head is when I'm thinking a 964 is a new 911 and yeah. look where we are now, you know. So I think I just, my head stopped developing after about 1998. <laughs> oh, this, this happens to all of us. I, I still think, like when I got my GT3, it was pretty new. Um, and I still think it's pretty new. But I look at, and I look at it amongst 992s and go... Oh, it's actually kind of old. Like, it's just what happens, isn't it? Okay, final question. Five-car garage. Oh. Unlimited value. Okay. You've got to fit into your life. Uh, okay. I'll be t well, uh, I suppose you'd be, the, the temptation would be just to go through all the RS models, the icons, <laughs> you know, so, Okay. Well, well, we'll have to. 
It's a great question because at the moment I'm talking to my wife about, you know, we're on about where we're going to go for the rest of our lives. And we're just saying, well, should we, you know, should we buy the forever home? You know, crikey, we've been in the one. Yeah. We just moved in. And I just said, she said, what do you need? I just said, well, we just need a house with a, with a 5,000 square foot garage. (laughs) And she says, what? I said, well, I need a unit. Why? Well, I've got a milling machine. I've got a lathe. I've got this. I said, I want to make things and build things. And I've got a woodwork shop. I said, then I want to put my cars. It's easy with motorbikes. You can just tick them on the yeah, car. Yeah, but, yeah. but with cars, it's a bit different. She says, well, how many, how many cars are we going to have? I said, well, we're going to have the GT2. Ta-da. We're going to have a 964. Ta-da. The RS 3.8 that we're building. And then it's the 2.7 down there that we're building. So, yeah. there's, so there's three. Yeah. And that's, that's actual, real, tangible cars. And then the only other project that I've got at the moment is um, a... Well, I'm, not, I'm not really going to mention it. It's a backdated car, but it's, mm-hmm. it's something out of the box. Yeah. Just... Just something like that. So there's four. So it, if I was a Porsche or a collector, I think for me, it's the, it's the, it's not having similar cars that do similar things, but just slightly better. Yeah. It's having cars that, that are iconic at the time. So if I had to pick, not looking at value, the GT2 is, is a, is a, is a given really. I'd pick a lightweight like the Silver One here. I wouldn't pick a Club Sport because they're too raw. I've got a Club Sport. Um, so a GT2, it's the ultimate icon of the air-killed 911s. Then the next one would probably be a 964 RS. And maybe even a narrow-bodied car. because And this is the contrast really going on. Maybe a 993 RS. Again, uh, a Touring something that you would actually use because they are more dynamic than a standard 993. Um, 2.7 RS, isn't it? Got to be in there or a 3-litre RS. Mm. 2.7 or 3-litre RS. Would I love Brian Powell's old three litre, red 3-litre three RS? Yes. Gold, gold <laughs> wheel centres, gold trim. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's the poster car for me. Yeah. You know, and then uh, would I have a real 2.7 RS? I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, what, what's the, what's the secret there? They've all got Porsche badges on the front. I know. <laughs> you know, do I like Ferraris? Yeah, they love the cars. Would I want one? No. You know, can I get him one? No. You know, um, is is there any other iconic sports car out there that I would really fancy? Well, no, not really, because I don't like Lamborghinis. That oh yeah, Miura. I'd love a Miura. They're pretty cool. I just want to look at it. It'd have to be the SV, and you know, probably in a silly colour like yellow or, or yeah. lime green. Yeah, probably might have a Miura, because that's a 68. That is an absolute icon. I saw a gold one. I was at the Hampton Court Concourse uh-huh. the other day. There was a gold, gold. one. Now, it, was, it was pretty cool, actually. It is cool, but... Uh, it's not the colour I would pick, but I, I was like, oh, it's that, pretty cool. Yeah, solid colour. Um, see... Now we're only thinking road cars, are we? So the only other, the other one then is, is thinking, well, okay, you could have a race car, let's say. So which race car would you have? Uh, 917K. <laughs> flat, flat 12. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, you'd have to have that one, yeah. Normally aspirated. You never, I... dri- you never drive it with aluminium roll case. That, well, that's that it. brave for like... fun. You would never drive it. You just, you just sort of potter it around a paddock somewhere or just take it for a demo, <laughs> a demo lap, but... 
Yeah, I'd have to, you'd have to have a replica if you want to drive it. And believe it or not, I'm working on one of those now with a mate in Norway. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. I saw a picture of that, I think it was on your Instagram or something. You're doing, you're doing an engine, is, is that right? Yeah, we, we were involved with Knut. We were developing a nice engine for him. He was limited to using a three-litre, so we, we did something fairly similar to Francis, uh, Richard Tuttle, sorry, with um, de-stroking a, a 3.6. We used a 100mm bore and short-stroked it to to give a, uh, a good piston area on the turbocharged motor and it, and it achieved exactly what we wanted it to do so and it revved nicely uh, that's what's in there at the moment but we are working on designing a flat 12 nice uh, nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> an air cool flat 12 see there see now there there's an engine that sounds interesting so it's all about the you see it's all about the engine isn't it it's, it's, the engine is a key part Mr. Metz has got an awful lot to answer for. It does. does. Bless him. Thank you. Thank you for being there and doing it. And creating these things. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well, you're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great. I didn't realise I could talk for so long. Yeah, one hour, 43 minutes. That's stunning. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think I only swore once. Cheers. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.